You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Will the bottom hold? While the market's down again today, the Dow is above its intraday lows from yesterday afternoon. Same for the Nasdaq and the S&P 500. Our stock picker has several names she says are oversold and that you can still buy right here. We'll tell you what they are. Plus, billionaire investor Mark Lazary joins us live with his take on the sell-off. We'll also ask him about oil prices as well. They're back up to 85. Does he still think rates are going higher from here? You don't want to miss it. And Microsoft on deck, paying for solar stocks, and the great home builder debate. We'll give you the story and the trade on all of it. But let's start with the markets, with the Dow down just under 400 points right now, well off the lows that we saw this morning, and again, off the lows we saw yesterday afternoon. NASDAQ still the underperformer. Let's get to Bob Bassani for the latest. Bob? And the important thing here is we are right in the middle of the trading range here, down but not nearly as volatile as we were yesterday. Let's take a look at the S&P 500. The key thing here is 42.22. What's that? Well, that's where we were yesterday. And we're a good 100 points above that right now. That's a very good sign overall for the markets. In terms of sectors here, remember we have inflation. What's the big proxy for inflation? It's oil. Energy's been the big market leader. And there it is today, this month and today. Banks, about 10% off of their highs after uh, earnings came out. So a little bit of a disappointment there. Industrials down a little bit today. GE's down a little bit. 3M, though, had a very good earnings report. It was down earlier today, but a very good earnings report. And if tech, of course, uh, the big concern here, that's about 15% off of their recent highs. Just take a look at mega cap tech right now. And again, semiconductors getting hit. Of course, these are uh, tend to be high multiple stocks to the downside here, about 7% for Xilinx, NVIDIA, Microsoft reporting tonight. Apple down about 2%. Some of the big recent IPOs, the IPO ETF hit a new 52-week low today. I just want to point out how much some of these are recently down here, like Rivian, for example, the big uh, electric car maker, down about uh, 67%. Robinhood's down 84% from its recent high. Coinbase, 56%. uh, And Coupang, 73% from its recent high. So that's a bit of a concern over there because a lot of these new companies are what's been powering the markets recently. So a big decline there. We also talked about multiple compression that's been going on. The P.E. ratios uh, have been declining recently. So we've seen biotech, for example, down 49 percent from its recent highs, software 26 percent from its recent highs, and semiconductors 17 percent. All of these companies have very high multiples. And when the Fed starts raising interest rates, usually you get what we call multiple compression. That's moving to the downside. Finally, earnings slowing momentum we've seen here. Uh, uh, 79 companies reporting so far. The important thing here, the average beat's only been 8%. Now, that sounds pretty good. Historically, it's 6 7%. But remember, last year we had 15%, 20% uh, earnings beats. That's not happening anymore. So we're getting multiple compression, Kelly, and we're getting slightly slower earnings growth and earnings beats. That's one of the reasons the market's having such a tough time of it. Kelly, well back said. To you. Bob, thank you very much. Our Bob Bassani down at the NYSE. My next guest says there are some attractive names that are definitely oversold here. Let's welcome in Marianne Montaigne, Portfolio Manager at Gradient Investments. Marianne, it's great to have you today. What are you picking up? Well, we're just watching this roller coaster, and it's just an example of a market trying to find a new support level. Uh, we see that uh, the VIX is up uh, yesterday to a one-year high of 38, and that typically indicates washed-out conditions. So we're looking for that to probably hover around that area, just as we are waiting for the Fed to come back out and speak. 
Um, now, the dollar's been strengthening as the market sold off the last few days, so that's indicating there's additional fuel for U.S. bonds since they have to uh, buy uh, in U.S. dollars, so they have to do that transaction first before buying the bonds. And uh, the concern is those rising rates from the Federal Reserve, um, but overseas demand, we think, will keep a lid on Treasury rates near term. So let, let me ask you just right off the bat about NVIDIA. You know, this is one of the names that's had a pretty steep correction from the highs. It's interesting to see the semiconductor, the SMH ETF, down 4% again today, although we're not at the lows uh, from yesterday at all yet. Why do you think semis continue to trade so heavy? And what makes you confident to pick up NVIDIA now versus waiting it out for a while? Yeah, we just think it's oversold. And, you know, we're never going to be able to pick the perfect bottom on these things. But uh, we think the outlook for semis is very positive, and we're looking for other semi-type of names. Um, we're just trying to find high quality at uh, very good pricing, and that's where NVIDIA stands right now. Is NVIDIA a name you would have held in the past, or do you see this as an opportunity to get exposure to one that you haven't previously been invested with? Yeah, uh, we've traded in and out of it in the past, but we're always looking to buy at an opportune time. and. Uh, we know the demand is there for semis. We know that uh, the applications are everywhere. It's not just the auto market. It's everywhere. And so this is an opportune time, in our opinion. What about big tech more broadly, the NASDAQ? I know you guys are more single stock investors, but are there other names? We'll talk later about Microsoft, but it reports after the bell and it's 18 percent off the highs. Does that become attractive to you? Yeah, definitely. We, we have some Microsoft and uh, we're looking to add more. Uh, you know, as the earnings reports come in. And that's probably true across the board. You know, we've seen a lot of, uh, I'll call it robo-selling in the last uh, few days, uh, so that steamroller just gets going downhill and you need fundamentals to stop and uh, for people to come in and, and take a hard look at valuations and growth prospects. But when you have uh, growth rates in the 20s and uh, P.E. ratios in the mid-teens, like we see also with DocuSign, uh, you know, that's, that's an opportunity in our opinion, and we've been adding to that one as well. DocuSign, very interesting. Again, one that's corrected big time off the highs. Any others in that kind of high-flying group? Uh, you know, I don't want to call them the Art K stocks, but any others that are really down quite sharply but you think could have a second wind? You know, we just uh, look across small, medium, and large cap uh, tech, and we're looking more toward the small and mids at this point in time. But we're definitely taking a hard look to add. And finally, Marianne, there's some who say that if Microsoft disappoints tonight, it's going to unleash a fresh wave of selling because the earnings are the only thing people have to hang on to at this point. And it's been a season of disappointment so far with the financials and some of the other names reporting. What would your instinct be if you see Microsoft down another five or six percent? You know, I assume if you see it moving higher, it might tell you that, you know, the bottoming process is definitely playing out. But what if you see red later on? I, if they were to disappoint, I think that would drag the tech side, the QQQ and the ARC type names uh, down further. Uh, again, w this is a bottoming process. Uh, there's not a single point in time or a, a single stock that's going to determine everything. Uh, but we have to go through the process. And we just point our clients to that chart that shows pullbacks, you know, occur all the time. Uh, not uncommon to see the 10% pullback. And the markets still finish up, you know, 75% of the time since 1926. So pullbacks are normal. You look at the laundry list of concerns, 
and uh, it's huge, but we've been climbing a wall of worry since 2008 with an average gain of 11%. And our initial outlook for the year is that we'll have about that kind of an increase in the S&P this year. So this is just on the path to growth. All right. Marianne, great to have you today. Thank you so much for your time. Marianne Montaigne. And the Fed is kicking off its two-day meeting today. Steve Leisman here with the results of the latest CNBC Fed survey showing that market expectations indeed have turned aggressive for the Fed here. Steve? Yeah, on two fronts, Kelly. The market expectations have turned aggressive for the Fed compared to the last CNBC Fed survey, with respondents looking this year and next for multiple rate hikes and significant balance sheet reduction. The first hike now firmly seen coming in March. Three and a half rate hikes are forecast this year, showing that three are pretty well agreed to. And the debate now is over whether there's a fourth. An additional three hikes expected next year. And the balance sheet runoff seen beginning in July, much earlier than the last survey, which pegged it at November. We don't know much about how the Fed will run off the balance sheet. Here's the first look at a market expectation and how it could happen. Respondents look for $380 billion to come off the $9 trillion balance sheet this year and $860 billion in 2023. While most think it will likely be phased in, the average respondent looks for a monthly runoff of $73 billion. That is far faster than the last time the Fed did this. Over about three years, average respondent looking for $2.8 trillion or about a third of the balance sheet to come off over a three-year period. We're going to listen to Fed Chair Powell's press conference on Wednesday for any guidance on what pace the Fed is actually considering for both the balance sheet runoff and rate hikes. And just a note, Kelly, in earlier reporting on the survey, we said that GDP growth forecasts were higher in the survey. In fact, they're flat. The mistake was due to an error in a response, and we apologize for it. Well, we're sorry to hear because it would be nice if they were going to be higher. In a word, Steve, what's the latest on Fed's funds, sure. uh, Fed funds futures? So they've come off a little bit for that fourth rate hike. We had been at 60 percent. I can call it up now or do the math online. It looks like we're at 57, 58. We had been as, as high as, 50, as 65 percent. So the three hikes are kind of built in. And our survey and the Fed Fund Futures Market are in line on that score, uh, uh, Kelly. And that's where the, the up and down is. When the market uh, does what it's doing today, you see them come off that expectation for a fourth rate hike. Absolutely. And looking at it not so much for its own sake, but as to how this market is positioned ahead of tomorrow, which will be a, a very interesting day. Steve, thank you for now. We appreciate it. Our sure. Steve Leisman. Speaking of that Fed survey, let's get a quick news alert in the bond market right now. Five-year notes up for auction. Rick Santelli here with the results. Rick? Yes, a very strong auction. The second one in a row. This is 55 billion five-year notes. Fives are wild there. Uh, the yield at the auction, 1.5333. It was definitely below the 154.5 one issued market. Lower yield, higher price. Gets a good mark for pricing. All the metrics were solid. Uh, a little below on the direct bidders at 16.5, just like yesterday's. It seems as though the, the primary dealers, uh, mutual funds, they're a little gun shy. But just like yesterday as well, indirect bidders, foreign interest, off the charts. As a matter of fact, it's 68.7 on indirects. I have a 21-year track record. It's the highest 
uh, that I've seen. I can't find a higher one in my 21 years of history. So a very solid A for this auction and probably similar to yesterday, this could set the table to take a little of the pressure off stocks. Why? Less nervousness potentially stepping up to the plate here. Kelly, back to you. Thank you very much, Rick Santelli. All right, my next guest is here to discuss what to expect and listen for from Jay Powell tomorrow. Kathy Bozjancic is chief U.S. financial economist at Oxford Economics. Kathy, it's great to have you here. You guys are expecting four hikes, right? Yes, um, four rate hikes lift off starting in March, and we think it would get confirmation that um, they will commence rate increases at, at the next meeting in March. It's interesting because for the first time in in a while, I'm getting just general sort of public interest in the Fed meeting, and people want to know if they're going to come out and say something that's going to really make the market sell off a whole lot worse. Um, I guess that would imply if they came out and were really hawkish. What do you think the odds of that are? Well, I, I think they've been rather hawkish. And you're right that the markets are sort of fearing even more hawkish um, tone from them. I, I don't think they'll ramp it up, that's for sure. Certainly in light of what we've seen in the markets, um, financial market conditions are tightening before the Fed has even you know, lifted one basis points on the, on the policy rate and before they've even stopped really doing QE, right? They're tapering it, but they haven't started to reduce the balance sheet. So I think they have to be cautious. But at the same time, um, the, the, the idea is inflation is running much hotter than they expected. And we've never, at least since the 80s, haven't seen a, a tightening cycle where inflation has been this fast and, right. and, and sticky, right? So they need to be firm. And the unemployment front. rate is as low as it is before they really even get started, which is extraordinary. Dave Rosenberg thinks they might lean on the balance sheet to do a lot of the dirty work and the tightening. If they tomorrow were to be much more aggress aggressive on the balance sheet side of things, while you know, not so much on the rates front or in their forecast, what would the impact be on the market, do you think? Well, I, you know, I think, you know, just a comment on the balance sheet, you know, we, we are looking for about 1.4 trillion reduction in the next 18 months. So we're on the high end of that survey that Steve just outlined. That's only going to account for maybe two rate hikes. So they can lean on the balance sheet a bit, right? Um, but, but it's not going to do all the tightening. So they really are going to have to lift the interest rates uh, meaningfully. And, uh, and I think four basis points and the reduction in the balance sheet. And that makes it tough for the equity market, no doubt. Yeah, and we'll leave it on that note <laughs> as we wait 24 hours uh, to see what happens tomorrow. Kathy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Kelly. Kathy Bostjanzik with Oxford Economics. Still ahead, an exclusive interview with billionaire investor Mark Lazary. We'll get his thoughts on the Fed, this market sell-off, and any opportunities in the energy space. Plus, another bad run for solar. The Invesco Solar ETF is tracking for its seventh straight week of losses. It's now down 50% from its recent highs. Are any names attractive at these levels? We'll explore. And as we head to break, check out some of the laggards in the S&P today. GE is lower by 7% after warning supply chain disruptions will continue this year. Xilinx, Paycom down as well, but GE having its worst day since September 2020. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Markets having one of its worst stretches since 2008, at least for the Nasdaq this month. But we've had a huge reversal since yesterday's lows. That's what we're ticking out behind me. It was the Dow's biggest intraday reversal since March 2020, erasing that more than 1,000-point decline. So is the market a buy here or not? And where are the best opportunities for investors right now? Let's bring in Mark Lazary, Avenue Capital Chairman and CEO, along with our very own Leslie Picker to kick things off. Leslie? 
Kelly, thank you so much. And Mark, thank you for being here. Really critical day to get your perspective. I know you're joining us uh, from the iConnections conference in Miami, so we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, just want to kind of level set with you for a second, if we can get a sense of where your head is with regard to the key drivers of some of the volatility we've seen recently. Is it sentiment? Is it technicals, fundamentals that's causing some of the whipsawing in the markets? I, I think it's a mixture of all those things. I think people are nervous about what the Fed is doing. They're nervous about the economy. If you sort of think about what's really happened, and I don't mean to simplify it, but really what's happened over the course of the last year is if you think of where we were last year, you were having $3 trillion that was going to go into the economy from what the Democratic plan was. And at the same time, you had the Fed that was loosening money. And where are we today? We don't have that $3 trillion going into the economy, and the Fed is tightening money. So investors are nervous about that, and that nervousness is actually positive for what we try to do, which is you know, where we're lending money or trying to take advantage of situations. And I want to get more into that in, in just a moment, but quickly to circle back on your thoughts on the Fed, do you think that the market's getting ahead of itself here? Uh, there hasn't been any news that it's actually reacting to. Uh, or do you believe that the Fed put is effectively kaput at this point in time? And that's what they're, they're nervous about. Yeah, well, I think, I think investors, everybody's always trying to figure out what the Fed is doing. So the Fed has said that they're going to raise rates. Um, you know, and everybody, and you had the guests, the prior guests talk about how they're pretty confident rates are going to get, you know, you're going to have three rate rise at least you know, 75 bips. The thing to remember is even with all these rate rises, you're going to have, um, you know, rates that's still lower than 2%, which um, is actually pretty low. So I think as the economy starts getting, if things start coming down, in other words, G GDP, I don't know if the Fed will keep doing what it's doing. The Fed is very focused on sort of what's happening in the economy. There was too much money. Um, that is, you're having money taken out of the system, and that's going to have an impact. How big of an impact? I don't think any of us know, but right now, I think the market is overreacting to that. You mentioned that uh, this is kind of the, the scenario and the type of environment where you thrive because you're able to make loans uh, to areas that aren't able to get them right now. Can you give us a sense of kind of the behind the scenes, what it's like in the credit markets right now, what these conversations look like? Well, it's actually great, uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, my biggest issue last year was the fact that there was too much money in the system. So, in essence, every time I was competing with somebody, I found myself competing against equity investors as opposed to debt investors. Now, with sort of capital coming out of the system, it makes it easier for someone like me to dictate terms. Last year, that was really hard. This year, I'm going to have more and more opportunities, or at least right now there is, because we're finding that people need that capital, and we're one of the people who are happy to provide that capital. The leverage has uh, shifted back toward you, no pun intended there. I want to ask you about high-yield debt, because if we look at just HYG in particular, it's held up relatively well, at least compared with other kind of riskier assets and equities, yeah. crypto, and things like that. Is that a good sign, and, and should we be looking at that in terms of what it says about the health of the overall economy right now? Well, the economy's fine. I mean, the economy is, we're still going to grow anywhere between 2 to 4% this year. So the economy's fine. If you're, 
the, the issue that's really going on is valuation of these companies. So companies that were being valued on revenue or zero EBITDA, but I'm going to value it at sort of projected 100 times. You know, a reality is coming back to the market. On the debt side, if you think about what we do and on the high yield, everybody who lent money was lending money based on EBITDA. So it was lending based on sort of four times EBITDA or five times EBITDA. So debt markets are going to hold up pretty strong here. What is not going to hold up is companies that were doing more on projections and on the possibility of making money because that possibility has gotten extended because there's less money available. Markets, Kelly, if I can just jump in with two quick questions here. We, again, we appreciate all your time this afternoon. The first question just on the Fed is, is this time different? You know, it sounds to me like you're expecting they might back off if the economy slows. But if it doesn't, you know, if unemployment is as low as it is, if inflation is where it is, what if they keep tightening and what would that mean for the markets? Look, I, I think if the Fed keeps tightening, that's hard for equities. It's great for debt. But, you know, why did equities go up so much over the course of the last couple of years? Why did the tech market do or the Nasdaq do as well as it did? Because, in essence, people were being forced to invest in equities because you couldn't get a return on the debt side. Now, as money is being taken out, that's actually great for debt. It's not as good for equities. That, that's what it's going to end up being. I, I think people are, I, I don't mean to simplify it, but... With rates moving up, that's not a positive for equities. With inflation being where it is, that's not a positive for equities. We all know that. So I think the Fed recognizes that. And the question is going to be not for this rate rise or the next one, but probably for the third one. It's not whether they raise rates. It's do they push it off and say, yes, we'll do it, but we're going to wait a couple more months. They're going to want to make sure the economy is doing great sure. or doing so well. That definitely sounds like a warning from you on the equity side of the equation for the sort of the, the duration of this um, rate reset, if we want to call it that. Yeah. My related question is actually about energy prices. You know, oil's back at 85 a barrel. We're back to basically the 2014 highs. Is 100 a kind of the next stop from here? It feels that way. But I, I think right now energy prices are going to continue going up. That's actually one of the reasons inflation has gone up. But there is, you know, as demand keeps on increasing, you're going to find that prices are going to keep going up. I don't know if they hit 100. Um, I think for what we do, um, oil being at 80 is great. I know it's higher than that, but we don't need oil to get up and you don't need it to get up to 100. Um, For all these energy companies right now, they've had a huge benefit because of where oil and energy prices have gone. So I think the rest is really sort of gravy or the cherry on top. Leslie? Oh, um, Mark, I just wanted to kind of follow up on your point about the economy being fine at this point in in time. Are you worried at all about the Fed's margin of error with regard to its ability to make sure that it, you know, against the inflation backdrop, that it's raising rates appropriately and getting out ahead of this thing without completely tanking uh, the stock market and then having a spillover into the economy as well? I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the, the Fed is very cognizant of all these issues. And as we've seen, the Fed can change everything on a dime. If the Fed announces tomorrow that they're no longer raising rates, 
you're going to see the stock market take off. So I, I think it's being priced in. The Fed knows what they're doing. Um, I think the concern will be on the second raise or the third rate increase. That's what we need to focus on. And we'll see as the economy and what's happening over the course of the year. But I think for right now, um, we all know what's happening with the Fed. So I wouldn't overreact. Um, you know, we've just been used to everything going up. And the fact that things are going down, everybody's like really nervous about that. Um, I don't know why. We all knew that if the Fed was increasing rates, that was not positive for the for you know for the for equities. So we've seen that, and now all of a sudden we seem to be shocked about it. Um, I'm not surprised by it at all. It's more the acceleration of the rate increases than the actual level yes. of the rates and the prospect of higher interest rates. Interesting, Mark Lazary. Thank you very much for taking the time. We really appreciate it, uh, Mark Lazary of Avenue My Capital. Kelly? Leslie, thank you for bringing that to us. Our Leslie Picker speaking with Mark Lazary this afternoon. We'll recap the headlines in a moment. Coming up, hotel and home rental stocks not off to a great start this year. Airbnb, Hilton, they're all down more than 12%. But a new report suggests that trend could continue. We have all the details. And home builders are under pressure, but there is one stock that has outperformed. We'll have the name, what makes it different, and why one of our guests remains bullish on the entire group coming up. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Exchange. Here's a quick check on your markets right now. You can see the Dow was down 818 points at the lows today, but we've come well back from that. We're down about half of that right now. In fact, we're only down half a percent. Hardly remarkable. The S&P down one and a half percent. The Nasdaq down 2.2 percent. So well off not only earlier levels today, but obviously yesterday, too. Energy is the only sector in the green today and to start the year. It's holding on to a 16 percent gain since January 1st. As we just talked about, WTI is back above 85. Meantime, communication services, technology, those are the biggest laggards. Tech down 13 percent this year. Crypto seeing more volatility with Bitcoin and Ether fractionally higher again today, about 2 percent gains. But look at Coinbase. Uh, crypto is still down 20 and 30 percent this month. Coinbase lower again today, having its worst month since going public last April. It's down 26 percent in January. And speaking of Bitcoin, Amex, American Express, says it may consider allowing rewards points to be redeemed for crypto. If anybody still wants to do that, the stock is surging almost 7 percent today after posting an earnings beat and raising their full year forecast amid record card spending. Uh, Jim Cramer is excited, writing in his newsletter today that the leisure side of the business is on fire. He also notes the stock, as you can see here, much cheaper than the rest of the fintechs, down to about 19 times forward earnings. Look at Block, uh, formerly Square, still up at 72. For more of Jim's insights, sign up for his mailing list at cnbc.com slash join the club or scan that QR code on your phone. Over to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Rahel. Hi, Kelly, and here's what's happening at this hour. Pfizer and BioNTech have started testing a new COVID vaccine that targets the Omicron variant. Adults ages 18 to 55 are being enrolled in the trial. The companies say that they can produce 4 billion doses of the new vaccine this year if they're needed. Elton John has postponed his concerts tonight and tomorrow in Dallas after testing positive for COVID. The singer's representatives say he has only mild symptoms. His farewell tour is set to resume next weekend in Arkansas. Organizers say that new dates will be announced for the Dallas concerts. Once prominent lawyer Michael Avenatti is considering representing himself. He interrupted his fraud and theft trial today to make the request. Avenatti is accused of stealing nearly $300,000 from porn star Stormy Daniels. And on the news tonight, San Jose, California is voting to require gun owners 
to buy liability insurance for their weapons. City officials want to incentivize gun safety and also lower the cost of gun violence for taxpayers. The fight over whether the proposed law is legal tonight at 7 Eastern. Kelly? All right, Rahel, thank you. Ahead here, a tech bellwether on deck. Microsoft reports after the bell. What will it mean for the sector and the market? The shares down less than 2% now. Plus, alternative energy stocks getting crushed. We'll look at the action on the trade on all of these coming up next. Welcome back, everybody. We are way off the lows. I mean, minus 196 on the Dow practically feels positive after the couple of sessions that we've had. Uh, That's what we're looking at right now. We'll keep a very close eye on it, especially into the final hour. And let's take a closer look at some of those key sectors to watch as we head into the afternoon trade. Julia Borson with a preview of Microsoft earnings after the bell today. Michael Santoli looking at some of the high-flying tech names getting hit pretty hard. Pippa Stevens with the story of the alternative energy stocks deep in correction territory. And we've got New Street Advisor CEO and CNBC contributor Delano Sapporo here to give us some trades. Uh, Welcome, everybody. Let's start with Microsoft. The shares are down 18% from their highs. They're down 14% this month. The whole world is watching to see if the Biden administration actually approves their bid for Activision. But first, we're watching those results after the bell today. Julia, what are the key numbers? Well, Kelly, you're right that Microsoft is off its highs. But over the past year, Microsoft has far outperformed the broader tech market. Microsoft is actually up 25% over the past 12 months. And with momentum around Microsoft's cloud business, which is expected to continue, analysts see a buying opportunity right now. Going into earnings this afternoon, 93% of Microsoft analysts have a buy rating, 7% have a hold, and there are no sell ratings. Analysts expect 18% revenue growth and a 14% increase in earnings per share for the tech giant. And in addition to the growth of Azure, which is considered really the growth driver here, Teams could be another tailwind. Now, on the downside, analysts are watching foreign exchange rates and also some tough comparisons with the year ago quarter. Deutsche Bank with a buy rating writing, quote, Microsoft remains uniquely positioned to facilitate the rapid shift to digital with its cloud-based solutions for increasingly distributed modern enterprises. Our checks show no signs of this trend slowing in 2022. So Microsoft's outlook will be closely watched as an indicator not just for Microsoft, but for the rest of tech. Uh, Certainly will be. And on that note, Delano, I'll toss it to you. What do you do with the stock this afternoon? So I think I think this afternoon, if you're if you're holding Microsoft, you obviously continue to hold. I think it's good. Things can get choppy, you know, at how the market reacts after earnings. But I do agree with the sentiment that this is still a bullish area, especially for this stock, because of a couple of things. We're already off, you know, you mentioned 15% over the past month or, or what it's been. But there's still a lot of these secular trends that are super strong, especially particular to Microsoft. You're looking at that transition to cloud, that business being the biggest segment of their of their overall business is a strong point, and you're seeing more companies gravitate towards that in their enterprise business growing strong as far as billings. And I think you also want to look at the the proposed acquisition that they have for Activism Blizzard, what that means for the company going forward. It's a a strong bet that they're making into that VR, AR space, becoming the third third largest publisher now um, of video game software. And so I think that's another area investors have to look at. We're still holding, and we believe it's still a strong play here, Kelly. All right. So in other words, if it sells off for whatever reason this afternoon, even if the whole market is, you know, thrown into another fit, you'd be you'd definitely be a buyer here. 
So, yes, we like it. Um, I think if they're still selling this afternoon after earnings, this is a great opportunity. If you were buying right. or dollar cost averaging at the highs, you should continue to buy as we're re-rating in this environment. Now, there may be choppiness. You may see some pullback corrections even after you purchase. But if you're looking at a long-term perspective, especially for younger investors, this is a great opportunity. I still believe in that. All right, let's move along. Microsoft has been in the middle of the selling pressure this month. The NASDAQ, the worst performer again today. Whether it's big tech, new tech, low PEs, high multiples, everything seems to be getting walloped. Michael Santoli, what do you make of it? Well, Kelly, I mean, over the last year, so it's been this huge upside overshoot in a lot of the story-driven tech areas, then broken momentum, valuation compression, and now I would say in the last several weeks, some kind of real concentrated uh, liquidation in so many of these names. And it's, it really is a separation between various uh, areas thematically within tech. If you take a look at semiconductors, they're still riding a pretty sturdy multi-year cycle. There's real demand. You can point to a lot of what their markets are today. It's not about high hypothesizing their addressable markets tomorrow, whereas you have things like fintech, uh, cloud software, cybersecurity, all of them, everyone agrees, are burgeoning areas. And because they're burgeoning areas, uh, everyone thinks that there should be lots of IPOs and thematic ETFs related to them. And that often means supply over demand. That's where we are, I think, at this point. Maybe that stuff's working its way through. Also, within Megacap, look at how Microsoft and Alphabet have performed relative to Amazon and Facebook. Clearly, the market is making distinctions here. What's the common thread between Microsoft and Alphabet? I don't know. Monopoly-like economics massive scale where you can kind of just sort of harness a lot of these big trends into cash flow as opposed to, you know, other areas where there's logistical issues or regulatory ones. On that note, Michael, thank you. Then on that note, Delana, would you be a buyer here of big tech or new tech, so to speak? Ooh, good, good question. I think, you know, one, we like both areas and we would take smaller bets in the new tech. But I think if, you're, if you've been in a lot of the only growth stories that have sold off, you have to take that volatility as it comes because that's a trade-off you make when you're looking at these longer bets. We still like and always will like uh, the big tech. And I think, as Mike was mentioning, Amazon, a stock that's underperformed, uh, that obviously focus on longer-term gains for shareholders rather than short-term profits, you kind of have to take a stronger look at the business right now because it's still in a fascinating area uh, being down so much. The core business of e-commerce is still strong and growing as the mar- strongest market leader in that area. The reliance on cloud, they're still one of the biggest players in cloud. Um, and a lot of these companies, you know, people focus a little bit on, on some of the different uh, macro narratives, but we forget that obviously these big tech companies have cash flow they can use for inorga- inorganic growth as well. Yeah. And Amazon is certainly in that area and a possibility for that to be done, as you saw Microsoft is, is trying to do that as well. So I think, you know, you just want to stick to these big cap, uh, mega cap stocks here, Kelly. All right. Amazon trading on the nose at 2800 today, and that's your pick. We appreciate it. Let's finally talk about energy, not those names. It's still the only positive sector on the year. We're talking about the newer names. Again, this sort of generational split. Solar in particular has gotten shellacked lately, and this is after turning in a pretty rough 2021. Pippa Stevens is standing by with more. Pippa? Hey, Kelly, that's right. Solar stocks have really gotten killed here, and the numbers are ugly. Maxion Solar and Array Technologies are 80% below their 52-week highs. SunPower and SunRun are about 70% below theirs, while Enphase, Sonova, and Shoals Technologies are down more than 50%. Now, iCapital's Anastasia Amoroso saying the group's gotten caught up in this massive, indiscriminate selling of growth, tech, and innovation positions. And these stocks were already under pressure thanks to policy uncertainty, supply chain issues, and rising raw material costs. 
J.P. Morgan believes that this is a buy-the-dip scenario, noting that the group now trades at a roughly 35% discount relative to its one-year average multiple. Sunrun, Sonova, and Array are their top picks, but should note that they've been saying to buy the dip all the way down. In the near term, clarity over California's solar incentive program could provide support. And longer term, Vanek portfolio manager Sean Reynolds said climate targets mean an enormous addressable market. He owns Sunrun, Solar Edge and Hannon Armstrong, saying investors should prioritize companies with track records versus the newer names. Kelly. All right, Pippa, thank you. Delano, would you do anything with the solar names? Yes, I agree with that last point. Is stick with the companies that have a track record over just over buying, you know, everything in that space. And I think Sunrun, one that we've owned prior previously, is is a great opportunity because the stocks have traded off heavily, obviously in this broader risk off uh, from growth. But I think when you want to look at it, you want to be in a stock that has kind of a track record. And obviously, being the market leader, Sunrun is kind of one that's shown that they can build and continue to grow in that space. And obviously, you look at the penetration over the next 10 years, it's projected a 15% CAGR. I think that's something to look at when you're buying these stocks. You're looking at it from an outward uh, projection, even in this environment, right? Yeah. And so I think that's one of the biggest things you look at here. Um, generally, I think investors can continue to see volatility in this space. So you want to make sure that that you're entering, looking at it from a a longer projection period. All right. We'll see if Sun can run. Delano, thanks as always for your time. We appreciate it. Delano, Sapporo today. And still ahead, the industries that could be most impacted by a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine. A trade group representing Chevron, GE, and other big companies is asking the Biden administration for safe harbors and wind-down periods before imposing Russian sanctions. We'll have the latest right after this. Welcome back. The Biden administration meeting with allies across the globe on how to address a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine. Kayla Tausche is here with the latest. Kayla. Kelly, Western allies have spoken multiple times in recent weeks, pledging unity despite some disagreements behind the scenes on how exactly to respond if Russia escalates the security situation in Ukraine. This morning, a senior administration official described the transatlantic relationship as a convergence, saying, quote, while our actions and the EU's actions may not be identical, we are unified in our intention to impose massive consequences that would deliver a severe and immediate blow to Russia. Among the consequences the U.S. is discussing, an unprecedented use of export controls to cut Russia off from U.S. tools and technology, and a global reallocation of natural gas to Europe from producers in the U.S., the Middle East, and Africa as part of a contingency plan to bolster Europe's energy supply if sanctions cut off access to Russia. Today, the White House said U.S. consumers should see little impact. I would also note that natural gas markets are very regional by nature, uh, given constraints on how much can be exported. So any reduction in Russian exports of natural gas to Europe would have a minimal impact on U.S. prices. The administration is briefing Capitol Hill on the security situation in Ukraine as Republicans urge the White House to back sanctions before a potential invasion. The Kremlin, meanwhile, has accused the U.S. of provoking tensions by putting troops on standby for NATO deployment. Kelly? All right, Kayla, thank you for bringing us all the latest headlines. We appreciate it. Kayla Tausche in Washington. And still ahead, this travel name coming about and moving higher. We will reveal the name right after this. Welcome back, everybody. The Dow's down only 77 points right now. We've erased the 818-point decline that we experienced this morning. So for the second day in a row, we have a rip-roaring comeback in the market. We're not green yet, but we're only two-tenths of a percent away from that level 
Was it the Treasury auction top of the hour? Was it just the 1230 turnaround that we saw yesterday? Uh, we'll follow all the action for you as we toss it over to Seema Modi for the latest on the travel stocks today. Seema? Yeah, Kelly, an interesting trend to watch. Travel-related stocks have been caught up in the recent market volatility, really led by the cruise lines with Carnival, Royal Caribbean, and Norwegian. They are off the lows of the day like the broader market but are still trading lower for the week, just around 4 to 6%. Hotels are seen as more rate sensitive. JLL says higher interest rates make hotel construction more expensive and growing supply has been the main way Marriott, Hilton and Hyde have been able to really fuel profits. And the question right now that market is trying to understand or really try to answer is, can they make up the difference with price? Uh, Hilton, you can see Marriott and Hyde still trading in negative territory. The key focus for vacation rental owners, as well as mortgage mortgage rates going up. That will be a big focus, Kelly, for a name like Airbnb, which is still trading down by 3%. Back to you. All right, Seema, thank you very much. Still to come after a quick break, home builders lower across the board today and with home prices still climbing and a Fed hike on the way, is there more pain ahead? My next guest says, nope, stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. Home prices surged in November, but for the third month in a row, they climbed at a slower rate, according to the latest S&P Case-Shiller report. Uh, you can see some of the stocks behind me. The home builders are getting hurt with Lennar, DR Horton, Toll Brothers on pace for their worst month since the pandemic lows March 2020. Still, Evercore ISI Stephen Kim says winter buying is strong, and even as prices and mortgage rates climb, the builders should continue to perform well. He joins me now. Stephen, it's great to have you back. What, you know, we've actually seen some more of the technical um, traders and things like that really warn about the home builders continuing to trade poorly. Do you acknowledge that they might, but or do you think they're going to quickly figure things out here? Well, I think that what you're seeing right now is that risk on assets are having a tough time in the market, and that's clearly understandable in light of the fact that mortgage rates and interest rates in general have moved up. I think, though, that our key point is that mortgage rates would need to move up another half percentage points in a hurry in order for the incredible momentum that we're seeing in the housing market to turn tail. And uh, the estimates right now are so low on the street, and the multiples on those estimates are basically at all-time lows. So unless mortgage rates do rise half a percent real quick, I think that it's going to be a great opportunity over the next three to six months in the stocks. How cheap are some of these names trading, and, and where do you think they should be re-rated to? When you look at them on a forward 12-month basis, uh, 2022 estimates, uh, these stocks are trading at about four times that for many of the names. Um, that is about as low as we have ever seen in history, like going all the way back to the 1980s. Uh, they really just don't get cheaper than this. Um, so either we're completely wrong on our EPS estimates or these stocks have probably found a bottom from a valuation perspective. I think where they're more fairly valued is probably about 50% higher than that. Is there any way you could be wrong on their earnings power? You know, tell me how you get to your numbers this year and why you think there's, you know, not that much downside. Well, I, I'm smiling because, you know, of course we could be wrong. Um, that's not <laughs> something that we uh, we anticipate. But uh, and we actually haven't been that wrong uh, over the last 12 to 18 months. But surely it's possible. Uh, the main thing to understand is that we're anticipating in our numbers that mortgage rates will rise, call it 30 to 40 basis points here uh, within the next three to six months. Uh, if they rise more than that, then sure, that would be the most obvious way in which we could be wrong. Uh, however, I will say that the fundamental underpinnings of the housing 
market are incredibly strong. We have a market that is being driven by a lack of supply that is chronic, frankly, has been accumulated. Uh, this deficit of housing construction has been accumulating over 10 to 15 years. It's not going to go away in anytime soon. And that's the real reason why home prices are moving up. As you pointed out, they really are moving up quite a lot. They, they, in fact, are moving up at a rate of more than 1% per month. So let's call it, let's say, 12 13% a year. I mean, that's a level of home price appreciation that you just almost have never seen in this country. Only twice before, going back 50 years, have you seen prices move that much. It is amazing. We were showing the stocks as you were speaking there, Stephen, and to see even Toll Brothers trading at six times forward earnings is, sh- I mean, it, it feels almost like it, it's the worst of the housing crash uh, kind of number. So it, it appreciate you bringing that to our attention. And thank you for joining us today to talk about why you're still constructive on the space. Thanks, Kelly. Stephen Kim on The Builders. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.